So, like, what's your favorite Christmas tradition? Um, ten hours later. <laughs> <laughs> ten hours later. later. Good day and good evening. And happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. <laughs> is that is that what he says? Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas to all and to all a good night. night. Yes, welcome. It is the Holly Jolly season, everyone. Episode 12? <laughs> the 12 days of Christmas. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. Regardless of what you celebrate, we are happy you're here. We hope you're having a great season and you know the last couple of weeks of 2020 so thankful for that i'm margo and i'm elizabeth this is the insomnia report Ooh. <laughs> um today we will be doing a wild card episode and it will conclude our second and third round yeah of, of stories so we're super excited we did just want to give a heads up that we will be taking a break for the holiday so we will return in the new year on January 3rd. We'll 2021. Be, yes. So just a heads up there. Otherwise, we actually kind of did this unintentionally, I think, but we are both sharing holiday stories mm -hmm. for themes. So I'm going to light the candle. Light it. What color do you think the match will be? Um, Green like Christmas okay. tree. I was going to say <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have red or yellow. So red like Christmas or yellow like the star. I'll do red. Yeah, do red. Like Santa's coat. Coat. <laughs> like Rudolph's nose. Did you know both of those were like invented by Coca-Cola? Like the modern Santa and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? I did not know that. I knew the Santa. I'm pretty sure. Wait, let me Google this. <laughs> oh, just kidding. It wasn't Coca-Cola for Rudolph. It was... um. He was created in 1939 for the Chicago-based uh, department store Montgomery Ward. Cool. Because they had been buying and giving away coloring books for Christmas every year, and they thought that making their own would save money. Well, that's pretty cool. Rudolph, before he became Rudolph, was going to be either Rollo or Reginald. <laughs> the author who wrote his story said that he was treated like Rudolph as a child. <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. That oh my sad. god. Well, oh my god. Wait. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm going on a tangent. No, you're good. Um, while this guy Robert May was looking out his window in Chicago, he saw a thick Lake Michigan fog, and that's like why he thought of it like the bright red nose shining through the fog. That's amazing. Of Lake Michigan. I had no idea. I also didn't know. It comes full circle every mm. time. Everything is Chicago. Chicago is everything. <laughs> I would like to know. I would like to know what has kept you up at night, but I also want to know what are your hopes for the next year. Oh my god, is that too deep? No, just tell me what has kept you up. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I will gladly talk about this. Trying to get everything together for the Christmas season is kind of like it's a lot to do. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, Bachelorette. We haven't watched Hometowns yet, so don't spoil it. Yeah, Final Four. They're, they're such a good group. They're such nice guys. I love every single one of them. Like, yeah. I think it, in history, it'll be the best group of Final Four Yeah. They're ever. just so... She has, like, definitely, like, a sensitive, like, kind type, which I, I appreciate. Like, they're very no drama, yeah. too, which I love. They're genuine dudes. They're genuine dudes. <sighs> I love all of them. I... I know that yeah. whatever happens, they will all find someone. Yeah. But I want that for them. I want that for <laughs> them, too. <laughs> um, for 2021, I want to get the COVID vaccine. Yes. That's number one on my list. <laughs> I want to take guitar lessons. Mm. I want to travel. 
I want to go to a bar. <laughs> yeah. What about you? What do you hope for 2021? My intention for 2021 is just be a little kinder to myself because mm. I think I'm very hard on myself and that's something I'm working on. I want to take painting classes again because yes. I, I'm i kind of missing that, so I want to take an art class. Yeah. I am also just excited for it this year to be over. That's all. I know. That's all. I know. Okie doke. So Tell I me. I am kind of doing a weird holiday theme. I just kind of started on one path and you know how my mind works. I, it just goes kind of all over the place and it was a accidental theme. Okay. So here we go. Tell me. So the first, I'm going to talk about different holiday plants. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Elizabeth and I had a Christmas oh card God. photo of us and all of our plant children. So the weird thing about this is in my research, a lot of it ties into other things I've talked about. Mm. So get ready. Buckle up. I'm buckled. What's the first plant? Like, What's the first plant you think of? Poinsettias. Maybe later. Oh, uh, mistletoe? <laughs> yeah. So oh. the thing that makes everyone uncomfortable when you see it, you just run away unless you're like, hi. This actually ties all the way back to episode two because mistletoe had been used all the way back to the Celtic Druids. Oh, hey, shout out to the Druids. <laughs> hey, guys. How's it going? Hey. So they were kind of the first to have a tradition around mistletoe, and it was obviously way before the birth of Christ, so it wasn't necessarily tied to Christmas. However, according to life science, there are hundreds of mistletoe species around the world, which I did not know, and so many different cultures use it for so many different reasons. While they didn't smooch under it, they believed it had sacred powers because it was rare and they would collect it during summer and winter solstices. They also believed it was a plant dropped down from heaven by the gods. So they were the first to use it as decor or as a symbol of positivity and vivacity. So because it bloomed in the winter, it was also a symbol of hope and fertility. And it was likely used in their homes at winter. Like I said, this was way before the birth of Jesus, so it had nothing to do with the holiday, but it was still interesting that they found this as an important symbol during winter. Mm. Kissing under the mistletoe. Here's, here's, it goes way back as well. So ancient Greece, it was a symbol of fertility, and they actually had it at weddings. Mm. So that's kind of how it had like more of a romantic oh. feel. And they also use it during a festival called Saturnalia. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. The Greeks were kind of ahead of their time and they used it to cure anything from menstrual cramps to mm. spleen disorders. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> oh. They used it for a lot of things. It's kind of like in my big fat Greek wedding where the dad is like, put Windex on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the Roman era... Enemies at war would resolve their differences under the mistletoe, <laughs> and it was a symbol of peace. So they also would not like kiss under it, but it was it was thought okay. to be like, oh, let's see our differences. I feel that. Yeah. I'm just picturing like two like like soldiers in all their armor just like making out under the mistletoe. <laughs> that was my first like mental image. Um, mine is just like they're like charging at each other and then there's like a mistletoe hanging and they're like oh man like hey what are we really fighting for? You know? <laughs> so this is actually one I've never heard of before but it's actually in Norse mythology. Your people. My people. My brethren and <laughs> My ancestors. I was actually a Viking in a past life. Could you see me like hang, holding mutton and like wearing like one of those like helmets? holding mutton, <laughs> just like holding it like a, a sheep's leg or something. <laughs> it's like American Gothic, but just like instead of a pitchfork, I'm like <laughs> I can see it. I can see it right now. Okay. Odin had a son named Baldur, and a prophecy was he was going to die. He kept having dreams that his fate was he was going to die. So he had a mother named Frigga, who was the Norse goddess of love. And she wanted to protect him, so she went to the natural world, so the mortal world, looking for all the plants and animals and everything she could find and telling them, please protect my son, like you cannot hurt him. 
So they all agreed. Like the little plants and animals were like, hey, yeah, like fine by me. However, she neglected to speak to mistletoe. Oh, no. So the god. I know. So she, she, I don't know if she just like passed by and didn't mean to like, or she was like, okay, I think I'm good. And then she forgot to check her work. The god Loki, he was kind of malicious and he noticed that she neglected to speak to mistletoe. So of all the other plants and animals, she forgot this one. So he made an arrow from the plant and he knew that mistletoe did not give the blessing to protect Baldur. So he made an arrow out of a mistletoe branch. And Loki goes to Baldur's brother named Hod. But the thing about Hod was he was blind. So Loki got Hod to use the arrow to shoot Baldur. And he died. No. I know. Frigga was so upset. All the gods could see how upset Frigga was. So they were able to bring Baldor back to life. And instead of being mad at Mistletoe or taking it as a negative thing, she said, let this be a symbol of love and peace. And she would be so happy that she would kiss anyone who like passed by it. And that was kind of like a a way to transition it from something evil to something good. I like that. I know. I love that. That she had like that optimism instead of being like, F you, mistletoe. Right. It was like, it was Loki who did it. Yeah. It was also said that her tears, because she was a a goddess and she was so upset, her tears turned into the white berries that you see on mistletoe. Mm. Um, but yeah, instead of punishing mistletoe, it's a symbol for peace and whoever. She made a day of truce. Uh, So she said, you know, let this be a day where we don't fight anymore and anyone who would see mistletoe would embrace. So beyond that, mistletoe continues to be a symbol of fertility and through the Middle Ages and by the 16th century, this is kind of where it transitioned into being like more of a like super romantic thing, not just like a symbol and... More of a business move, if you will. Oh, capitalism? I'll explain. This <laughs> it probably wasn't capitalism. I mean, not yet. Out. Not yet. <laughs> Some douchebag probably came up with this. But <laughs> apparently, if a woman was seen under mistletoe, a guy would try to like kiss her. And if she refused, it meant that she would get bad luck for a year. And that she wouldn't get another proposal. And then she would eventually become an old maid which was like the worst thing that could happen to a woman back then yeah so basically like trying to force women to kiss them yeah kiss me or else you'll be an old maid well shit (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh. i know so um apparently it was also uh but yeah like if she refused then it would mean like a year of bad luck and she wouldn't get proposed to again and, like, people in town would look down against her and shun her. And then eventually, like, she would spiral to being an old maid. But, you know, <laughs> she kissed, like, too many people. That's another story. So, um, yeah. It was also – I read one article that said it was also kind of a business move because it was a way for people to kind of move up in class. So it's like, oh, like, if you see someone under the mistletoe and you kiss them, you might fall in love. So, like, poor women would try to seek – richer men and try to like move up from there Mm. um only one article said that so i you know it's all alleged back then so right um it was also said that for every berry on the mistletoe branch a man could request a kiss until all of them were gone okay so (laughs) it's like oh you get a berry you get a kiss for every berry on the are the berries poisonous you wouldn't eat it but oh okay Actually, I don't know. I know birds can eat them, but I don't know. Like birds have stomachs of steel. Of birds. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> or it was also just a, a kind of an excuse to be like, oh, you're under mistletoe, like so to kiss it unwillingly. So that's how it started, and I believe that was in England. So something also very interesting about mistletoe is it's also a parasite. So it can only thrive on trees. The most common one is apple trees. And uh, you can't, like, grow it in a plant on your own. It needs to 
take over like some kind of tree or other plant for it to thrive. So it's kind of symbolic. Wow. In a weird way. It's like it's like a beautiful thing, but it needs another to live. Hmm. I did not know that about mistletoe. I didn't either. know that either. That's kind of dark. Yeah, right? A little bit. So continuing the topic of holiday plants, the poinsettia comes from a Mexican tradition. The story goes that a young girl named Pepita did not have a gift to leave for baby Jesus during the Christmas Eve service in Mexico because her family was very poor. So she was extremely disheartened. She felt like embarrassed. She didn't have anything to provide. So she confided to her cousin Pedro. So enter Pedro. (laughs) So he said, don't worry. Jesus would be happy with any gift because he loves everyone, which is true. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Like if Anyway, to Jesus. Okay. Jesus mm-hmm. loves all people. He did not stutter when he says, love everybody, okay? Okay. Okay. So, um, so she didn't know what to do, but she's like, all right, you have a point. So she was like walking around the roadside and she just gathered a bouquet of weeds because she couldn't do anything else. So she went to the Christmas Eve service and... I mean, she was, like, walking to the altar, and she was incredibly embarrassed. She's like, how could I only have these weeds? But then she remembered what Pedro said, and she got to the altar. She kneeled down, and she presented the weeds to the nativity scene, and they turned into the beautiful red flowers, and everyone was like, ah, Christmas miracle. And (laughs) uh, from that day, they were known as the flowers of the holy night. Other versions of the story say that an angel saw her heart was in the right place and uh, they, the angel transformed the flowers. So cute, Aww. wholesome. Now we're going to talk about probably the most famous one, the Tannenbaum. The main guy here is the Christmas tree and they're actually super ancient. Sort of like the mistletoe. the mistletoe sort of like mistletoe you know it goes back further than christianity however um it goes back to ancient egyptians and romans as well Mm -hmm. so during the winter solstice aka the shortest day or the longest night of the year ancient people believed the sun was a god and winter came because the sun got sick and was weak oh same they celebrated (laughs) Uh, they celebrated on the solstice because it meant the sun would, um, the sun god would start to feel better soon. So they knew that eventually he would start to feel better. And like I feel mm. that, like I have seasonal depression. Yeah, that's super cute. Like get well soon, sun. <laughs> um, they also used evergreens as a reminder that spring would come again. And in some countries, it was also believed that evergreens could keep away spooky things like witches, ghosts, demons, and illness. So ancient Egyptians worshipped the god Ra. And at the solstice, when Ra would start to feel better, Egyptians filled their homes with evergreens to symbolize overcoming death and celebrating life. Wow, I didn't know they had evergreens in Egypt. I didn't know either. It, I, it was maybe some kind of like fur, like it may not have been... Yeah like exactly the same yeah. but uh, and you know interesting some, some sort of I like evergreen that. i do too now romans as i mentioned they celebrated saturnalia and to honor saturn the god of agriculture so they knew that after the solstice they would be able to have green and fruitful springs again and they decorated with boughs so um, also super interesting how it's kind of just like an ongoing thing no matter where you are they all kind of had like a similar story so I think yeah, that's really cool that is really cool um, also back to the Norse tradition they also used evergreens as a symbol of everlasting life and it was the plant of Baldor so oh, super interesting full circle. I know it's so weird now Germany does take the credit for the Christmas tree itself and this goes back to the 16th century where Martin Luther oh god <laughs> Martin Luther Martin Luther he was so anyway he was a dude he was so interesting <laughs> <laughs> so he was actually the first person to add candles to an evergreen tree The story goes he was walking home one winter night and he looked up at the stars and he was amazed 
at the beauty of it and he was seeing them kind of through evergreens and it reminded him of um you know like the stars of the you know the northern the yonder star oh the the, the, you know, the guy, the star, Jesus, like the... The Christmas star. Right. Or the... the uh, yeah. It, <laughs> what's it called? Is it, does it have a name? Anyway, he, he was inspired <laughs> by, the, by the stars he was seeing. So he went home and he told his family and he was like, we need to do this in our home. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this thing in a magazine and we just, we need to do it. We can do it. <laughs> When he got home, he was like, we're going to put candles on the tree to recreate what I saw. So it grew from there. Eventually, people started to put apples on the trees, which is the early ornament. Um, and the tradition was mainly in Europe until the 1800s, actually. I oh. thought Christmas trees were a lot longer than that. Mm-hmm. However, Queen Victoria married Prince Albert of Germany, oh. and he brought the practice over to England. And then eventually, oh. they brought it to America. Oh, um, like I, so it's pretty new in, it's the, pretty in new. the Americas. Yeah. Um, obviously, like, you know, people immigrated. They mm-hmm. probably did, but I think that was when it was really popular. Yeah. And then it became, you know, big all over. And apparently I read that it is bad luck to keep a tree up past the 6th of January. So oh, I'm not God. taking any chances. <laughs> <laughs> Taking it down. I don't know. I'm pretty (laughs) superstitious after this year. So I want to step away from plants for a minute. Okay. uh, And symbols. And I want to talk about a tradition I had never heard about. Just a quick question. Like, what's your favorite holiday meal? Um, Like, mine are cookies. But, like, do you have a favorite, like, dinner? Or what do you do for Christmas dinner? Um, At my grandma's, she usually gets... Brown's fried chicken. <laughs> I was about to talk about fried chicken. I didn't really? think that was a... <laughs> well, we haven't done it the past couple of years, but she's like, it's brown chicken, and then my mom makes uh, cheese-filled shells, pasta shells, and then my dad will like cook something very intense and elaborate. I did, I did not think you would... Damn it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, but but no, like, I don't... I've never heard of it outside of my grandma just like liking fried chicken and getting it, so... <laughs> Tell me about this wider tradition because I've never heard of these people. You've never heard of the Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was the Japanese. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, so apparently I didn't know this was the Japanese thing. Yeah, so apparently Kentucky fried chicken is huge. <laughs> It's a huge Christmas tradition in Japan. Really? Yeah, uh, for over four decades. So it's recent. Why? <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> These people. Okay. That was, that was good. That was, that was funny. <laughs> well, my grandma doesn't get KFC. She gets well, browns chicken. My grandma also likes browns. Have you? Did you hear about that? Like... Um, shooting at Browns. No. Like in the seventies, some guy like murdered a few people in a Browns chickens. It's not funny. Sorry. Anyway. I heard about like that happening in a subway. That's sad. Mm, yeah. Anyway, a, a story for another time. For uh, round three. Okay. Gosh, I did not expect that, and I'm a little shook. So yeah, KFC Kentucky Fried Chicken is a huge Christmas tradition in Japan. And this has been a tradition for over four decades. And according to BBC, each Christmas season, nearly four million Japanese families eat KFC. Oh, my god! I know. It's crazy. I, I don't remember the last time I had KFC. I don't either. I, I could not tell you. When I was a kid, I used to call it Mr. Gravy. <laughs> oh. Because <laughs> I like gravy. <laughs> I like gravy, too. It's like my favorite food. Anyway. Um. <laughs> Is gravy a food or a sauce? <laughs> I don't know. Irrelevant. (laughs) And KFC around this time is in such high demand that restaurants require orders weeks in advance. Or if you do get a day of, you have to be prepared to wait hours in line. Oh, wow. Like for KFC. Like I can't wrap my head around that. That's so interesting. Um, Like literally why. But I wrote that in my notes. Anyway. (laughs) So this can be uh, 
tied to, or the Japanese can thank, Takashi Okawara. And he was, um, he managed the first KFC in Japan back in 1970. So he had the idea to market it as a party barrel to be sold on the holiday. And he thought of the idea because he could overhear foreigners talk about how they were missing turkey for their holiday, so they were using this as a substitute. So he pitched the party barrel. And the campaign was titled Kentucky for Christmas instead of Kentucky Fried Chicken, Kentucky for Christmas. Oh, this man is a genius. I know. And um, so, like, he kicked it off showing families with meals of boxes of chicken, cake, and wine. And cake is a very big, like, Japanese food. So, Mm. um, like, the whole works. And they even had, like, KFC wine, which is so weird. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Okay. I'd have it in Japan, though, because it's definitely probably – it's probably at a better standard than – Anyway, let's let's track down a bottle. Right, let's go to Japan. I really want to. Okay, this is the plan. We're gonna go to Japan. Okay, we're I'm gonna in. go to KFC. All right. and get some KFC wine. <laughs> I love it. And and see what happens. Okay, we might explode. I don't know, but let's Maybe. do it. So Kentucky for Christmas. Um, something to know is Japan like acknowledges Christmas, but it's not celebrated like it is in Western culture. So. It was kind of planted as the idea of this is what you should do on Christmas. Mm. And this helped uh, Takashi because he became the president and the CEO of KFC Japan uh, from 1984 to 2002. Wow. And it's also kind of transitioned. I'm not sure if this is like a huge family thing, but it's also kind of recognized more so as a romantic holiday like Valentine's Day. Oh, so you and your little honey can get some KFC and have a nice little night on it. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds amazing. I'm now I'm hungry. I want chicken. <laughs> so that's the power of good marketing. That's and, incredible. Yeah, I love that. So that's what I have for you today. Just like a couple little plants, and then I thought the KFC was too interesting not to share. I I'm so glad you shared that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. So that will keep me up because I'm really hungry. <laughs> I really want chicken now. Fried chicken is really good. Yes. All right. So what is your holiday wild card? All right. I'm going to talk about scary Christmas. (gasps) Yes. Not Merry Christmas. Scary Christmas. So as you probably already know, many Western European cultures thrive on conditioning their children through fear Mm -hmm. and trauma. Yes. Thus, scary Christmas (laughs) first up is krampus (laughs) my favorite i love krampus i don't know why i think i just i maybe you were him in a past life (laughs) maybe no you were probably santa i was probably krampus (laughs) krampus is just like really metal it is i you know i was actually telling my mom about it because she had never heard it before and i showed her a picture and she was actually like i'm terrified (laughs) Shout out to Margot who got me a Krampus art print for Christmas. Oh, thank you. I love it. <sighs> anyway. I'm glad you like it. I do. I got it on Etsy. It's so cute for a, a scary creature with a child in a bag. So Krampus is part of the folklore in places like Bavaria, Austria, Liechtenstein, Hungary, Slovenia, Slovakia, the Czech Republic northern Italy and parts of Croatia. So these alpine regions, basically. He's a figure in alpine folklore, and he's essentially the bad cop to St. Nicholas's good cop. (laughs) He's there to punish the bad children. So Krampus comes in many variations, but usually he's some kind of horned, furry, goat-like figure. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) Sometimes he has hooves like a goat obviously and a really long tongue not sure what the purpose of that sometimes krampus also has chains uh, a whip and a sack kinky or a basket <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh my god well so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay so december 6th is niklaus tag or St. Nicholas Day, and children leave their shoes outside overnight 
and if they've been good, they get like candy or presents in their shoes or boots. The day before is um, Krampusnacht or Krampus night, and it's kind of like Krampus also sometimes accompanies Saint Nick on his day afterwards. There's no like rules about it really. If the children are good, they get presents or candy in their shoes from St. Nicholas, but if they're bad, Krampus comes um, and he, he, like, hits them with his stick and puts them in his sack and just, like, kidnaps them. Where did they go? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> to hell? I don't, I don't know. Jeez. <laughs> uh, he may return them. I'm not sure. I just know that he hits them with his stick. I can't borrow this for a minute. It takes an entire child. Yeah. Okay. Where does Krampus come from? Who is he even? I can see this on like a headline of like the Daily Prophet. Krampus. The man behind the horns. Exactly. Most people think he comes from, uh, as you said, from many of your plants, pre-Christian pagan traditions. And so where is he? Where did he? How did he get here? Who are we? Well, mm, I'm not exactly sure what specific traditions he came out of, but he comes from pre-Christian pagan traditions in the Alps, specifically, and... So he's the abominable snowman. Oh my god. It's Yeah. Yeah, we solved it. We solved maybe it. Maybe he just has so. a toothache. <laughs> um, Maybe. You're looking at me like, please stop talking. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> That's a good idea, though. He might be... Like which, a version of it, maybe. I, like, every culture has their own Yeti. Yeah. During the Middle Ages, it was banned for a while for people to dress like the devil, a.k.a. Krampus, um, on punishment of death. Oh, my God. It was. This was when the church came in and was like, okay, like... <laughs> Time to shut this party down. <laughs> We're going to close up this operation. We're having a noise um, complaint. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And it was also banned during the 30s and into World War II because the fascists in Germany and the rest of Europe, like, were not a fan of Krampus. So it was not allowed. Okay. But now it's had its revival and... There's this tradition in many towns in these regions called a Krampuslauf, or a Krampus run or parade, which is essentially like a parade of people dressed up in these really elaborate Krampus costumes, and they're surrounded by other similar demons from local folklore, sometimes witches too, sometimes St. Nick comes just for fun. It's in the neighborhood. Yeah. And oftentimes, it's, it's mostly men who do this, and usually they get super drunk, and then they put on their costumes made from, like, wood masks and um, furs, like sheepskins and stuff, and they have these huge cowbells on their costumes, so when they're running or jumping up and down, they sound like cows, I guess. <laughs> and their goal is to scare people. So I'm scared and I'm not seeing it. Like, yeah. Can you imagine if Krampus walked through our door and be like, I heard you were talking about me. <laughs> I, um, mm, 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 that would scare me too. Sometimes children dare each other to rile up the Krampuses without getting caught or like hit. That's their admission. That'd be my brother. <laughs> Don't get hit by the scary <laughs> demon man. And these Krampus laughs often get violent and like the police have to come or like... The paramedics have to come because they just, like, fight. <laughs> they just, I don't know. In th- this alpine folklore, there are all these different demons called, um, I want to say, Perchten, and they're, like, and so I think the Krampus thing is sort of like that, and they're all just sort of, I don't know. There's a lot of Krampuses. Okay. That's all I know. Yes. And so then... Along the same lines, we have another Germanic scary Christmas figure named Frau Perchte. Frau Perchte uh, is present in the same regions as Krampus. She's an old scary witch mm. who wants you to have a clean house. And to well, f- honestly, same. <laughs> same, I know. <laughs> and to finish spinning your flax before January 6th. 
What do you do when you spin flags? I don't know. <laughs> okay. And I'm I'm very fortunate and thankful that I don't have to know <laughs> what that means. Sure. Um, Wait, flax seed? Like, is that like making a or like, like they would bread, spin or? stuff into yarn? Oh, they would okay. like flax into yarn. Oh, I see. Cloth. Okay, yeah. Sometimes Frau Perkste is portrayed as a beautiful woman, but sometimes, most of the time, she's this like old crone. I guess sometimes she has one large foot. <laughs> Okay. And this foot is oftentimes like a goose or a swan foot. And it's supposed to be a sign of her higher nature that she can't escape from. Because she's like, um, she is like this supernatural, like of the gods kind of, kind of person. So she has a Kind of a foot? goddess. Like a symbol of the gods is a big foot. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Frau Perkste was the one who was kind of the taboo police like if you were spinning your flax on holidays that's uh -uh, forbidden okay that's verboten how dare you and she would come into people's houses in the 12 days between christmas and the epiphany and she would know like santa claus if the children had been good and if they had been good they might get a coin or something nice but this there's is always so, a but. This is this is like the face I was making when you came up to me when I was sitting on the couch, just like frowning, and you're like, "What is it?" And I was like, "This is awful." Okay. Okay. So if you were bad, uh oh, Perkse would come and if you're a bad child, she would come and slit your stomach open, like oh. disembowel you, oh. and replace your innards with rocks and straw. Okay, so I'm going to be good. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah, she would also do that to you if you ate something on the night of her feast day other than fish and gruel, which was her meal. Well, I would also be a bitter woman if that was my meal. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, if, if you hadn't finished spinning your flax by January 6th or wool or like whatever you were spinning, she might set fire to it. Wait, January 6th? Mm -hmm. That was the day that Christmas trees had to be removed. Oh, mm, mm. Everything's connected. Everything. See, this is like Christmas is the occult. Randy agrees. It's so, it's just. It's it's weird. It's Elizabeth yeah. and I were talking about like, what if like everyone were to wipe out like during Christmas time and then like an ancient alien or not even ancient, like future aliens were to come and be like. There are trees in every window. They must mean something. Like, it's just... Right. I don't know. Okay. Exactly. Frau Perkste flies through the night with her army of Perkten, the demons, who look exactly like Krampuses. Many, so many little... They, they overlap there a little bit. So in my head right now, mm -hmm. I see the Wicked Witch and all of her flying monkeys. Kind of like yeah, that, the it, little yeah. crumpuses. Crumpies. <laughs> little crumpies. My little posse of crumpies. Crumple. Um, <laughs> uh, but also in her army are the souls of unbaptized children, which is All right. kind She's of intense. taking it a little, a, little, yeah. a little far. At one point in the 1400s, she had a cult. Of course she did. Called the Cult of Pechta. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and that's it. That's all I know about her. <laughs> well, I don't want to hang out. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, all right. Please don't cut my stomach open. That's horrible. I know. It, it's like, it's so horrifying. Like, <laughs> this is so traumatizing. Like, like, so violent. What parent thought of this? Like, I swear to God, like, this woman will, like, she, that was a woman who had, like, the final straw. Yeah. With her kiddos. Mm -hmm. Or a man. I don't know. I mean, life used to be a lot harder, I guess. I don't know. It's still pretty hard. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I know. But. Anyway, have we really evolved? We just have like Netflix now. <laughs> like I don't. <laughs> at least we don't have to like wake up at dawn and like farm. Oh, I mean, okay. at least here <laughs> yeah. in Chicago, right? Uh, anyway, okay. I would like a farm, simple life. I like that's my dream is to live on a farm. Me too. So what are we doing? Okay, now we're moving to Iceland. <gasps> hey. hey, we're going to talk about Yule Cat. <gasps> Yay. AKA, I cannot pronounce the Icelandic word. I don't I don't know anything. But I'm going to try, and I'm so sorry. 
Yola Kutterin. Yola. Okay, I'm going to call it Yola Cat. Yola Cat. Yola Cat. Yule. Yule. Like a Yule. Yule Cat. Okay. It sounds like the name of a beer or something. Yeah. Like a holiday lager. Yeah. Yola Cat. Okay. So Yola Cat, the legend, probably comes from the Dark Ages. And the cat is like a giant cat as big as a house. Oh. Okay. Oh. And it's owned by these trolls. Of course. And I'm not, I'm, I'm going to get their names wrong, but their names are Grula and Lepaludi. I'm so sorry. Lepaludi. I don't, that's probably wrong. That's okay. Anyway. I don't think we have any Icelandic listeners. Uh, I, I apologize if sorry. we do. Um, so the cat is owned by these trolls and they're 13 children who are known as the Yule Lads. <laughs> So their mother, Grula, she is a really old in legend um, in Iceland. And she's an ogress who kidnaps, cooks, and eats children. See, why you gotta do that? Who like, don't just, obey their parents. Um, we just got coal. Like, these kids are, like, traumatized. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She wasn't, she didn't really have anything to do with Christmas until the 1600s. When someone was like, okay, we're going to make her the mother of the Yule Lads. She had three different husbands and 72 children. Good for her. But they, her, all her children were mis- mischievous and they caused different kinds of mischief. And some of that escalated to murder as well. But the Yule Lads, the, the specific 13 of her children, they used to also be like evil, chaotic figures, but now they've kind of been reimagined and they can leave gifts for children sometimes. Okay. But they're the owners of the Yule Cat. The Yule Cat lives with them. All, all this cat does is looks in your window. Ew. And. <laughs> Perv. And the cat is concerned with. If you have gotten new clothes for Christmas and because nosy, well, because the children who finished their chores and like were good children traditionally got new, some kind of new clothes while the lazy children did not. And so if you didn't get clothes, you're the lazy children who didn't do your chores and the Yule cat eats you. Well, that's a little harsh. That's that, is, okay. that is pretty spooky. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay, another one along the same lines, which is, this is like the theme, I guess, is just terrifying children, is this guy named, I don't speak French, so I'm going to butcher this too, Pierre Futard. Pierre Futard. Futard. It means father whipper or old man whipper. <laughs> I don't like that yeah me neither (laughs) he is known in france belgium and switzerland and he's essentially like a french krampus he serves the same function so there are a couple different origin stories for this guy (laughs) which makes him sound like some kind of villain well he is so there's one story that he was a butcher and that him and his wife uh, robbed and killed three children. What is no? And um, he apparently drugged them, slit their throats, <gasps> cut no. them into pieces, no, and <laughs> put them either in some kind of barrel or a salting tub. But then Saint Nicholas came to the door. And he discovered, no, 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 (laughs) I see everything. (laughs) And he knew what happened. And he was like, oh, my God, you killed these children. And so then he resurrected the children. Well, I hope he cleared their memories. (laughs) Me too, man. Me too. It's like Sweeney Todd. (laughs) Yeah, it's really bad. And he brought their children back to their families. Um, Who comes up with this? This is horrible. But... So, and then St. Nicholas is like, I'm going to punish you, butcher man, and make you (laughs) my sidekick or my, like, eternal servant. Okay. So, that's one version. And then there's another version that, um, that Pierre Fouchard 
repents afterwards and becomes more like a partner instead of like an eternal servant. Oh, so like Beauty and the Beast where she falls in love with him. Sure. <laughs> they're a couple. It's they're in a relationship. It's cute. <laughs> I'm sure that's that's what the folklore said. I don't know. Um there's one other origin story and that's it has to do with a battle in this city called Metz. So from 1552 to 53, there was the siege of Metz. I'm not going to get into what it was about, but it was a war. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a lot of It was those. part of a war. And during the war, there was a festival of some kind. And the locals decided that they would burn an effigy of the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. And they did that, and then they dragged it through the streets. And somehow a group of tanners created like this character out of this figure of Charles V and then they came up with a story about okay. it. But the most common depiction of him is a man dressed in dark robes with like unkept hair and like a long beard and um looking kind of evil and then he walks around with a whip or a bundle of sticks. Okay. To hit people. All right. All right. I have one more. Okay. And that's it. Cool. It's the Mary Lude. I'm, I'm pronouncing <laughs> that wrong, too. Probably. I love this Mary one. L- Do you know how to say that? Um, a Mary Lude. Mary Lude from South Wales. <laughs> okay. So picture this. Someone knocks on your door. You open the door and you see a horse skull decorated with ribbons on a pole carried by someone hiding under it like a sheet. I do that every Saturday. <laughs> normal, normal things. <laughs> Sometimes the horse head is made from wood or paper, and it's usually decorated in various ways. Sometimes people give it eyes with glass, or don't love that. They make its jaw move like it's talking. It's kind of, people kind of need weird. hobbies that are not this. <laughs> uh, so this is in Wales. It was first recorded in 1800. Um. And the name Marilude either means, either comes from the Virgin Mary, or the more likely thought is that it means gray mare, like horse. Okay. So the Marilude is connected to wassailing, which is where people go door to door and offer drinks from the wassail bowl, which sounds very unsanitary. That also sounds like someone who's like, yeah, just drink some of the wassail. Like, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> What's in it? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Flavor aid. Just what? Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> they offer drinks from the wassail bowl in exchange for gifts. And I love this. I, I didn't know this. They would sometimes do this in orchards like cider orchards as well, and sing to the trees for a good harvest. I love that. And it would awake the cider trees and scare away spirits. That's, That's beautiful. That's so cute. I want to sing to the trees. Okay, little Lorax. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been replaced nowadays by caroling mostly. But anyway, some people think the Mary Lude comes from pre-Christian traditions. Others don't think so because... Apparently, in the 16th and 17th centuries, it was some kind of elite craze to make a hobby horse. Okay. <laughs> it, like, I don't know why, but it was. And it's possible that just it came from that. But what happens with the Mary Lude is a group of men, one who is under the sheet holding <laughs> the pole with the horse skull on it, they would go from house to house and knock on doors and be like, can I come in? But through song. So they'd make up songs or maybe they had like, I don't know if they made them up or not. Maybe they just had their little Freestyling. Yeah. (laughs) And the men were dressed up in costumes and ribbons as well. And they sometimes dressed as characters like Punch and Judy. Have you heard of Punch and Judy? It's like these puppets that are popular, that have been popular for a long time. Like Howdy Doody and stuff or? i don't know okay i'll show you later you've probably seen it before i'm sure so the homeowner then would sing back and they are supposed to say no like you can't come in okay but the homeowner gets to like make up like basically freestyle like these songs so everyone's singing and they would go back and forth and back and forth and eventually the homeowner would run out of ideas for excuses as to why they weren't allowed inside and so at that point, then the group can come inside and they would get food and drinks. I would hate that. 
<laughs> I know. But like, can you imagine having a rap battle with this like horse skull? Like, I I would just be like, <laughs> I think people still do this in Wales. So that's all I got. I saw something else about Christmas werewolves, but I couldn't find any info on it. Okay, maybe next year. Thank you to the Got Weird Instagram account for the inspo. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for that. I yeah. <laughs> Well, I hope I've been good this year because I don't want my stomach cut out. Jeez. Well, thank you. That will definitely keep me up while I... Lord. Anyway. Anyway, Merry Christmas. Scary Christmas. A Merry Scary Christmas. We hope you all enjoyed today's episode. And like I said earlier, regardless of what holiday you celebrate, we're happy to have shared it with you i guess thanks for listening thanks for listening uh thanks for letting us take over your airwaves and you know congratulations on finishing 2020 we made it it was oof but uh yeah oof da uh our we would like to give credit to the artists that have helped us so our music is composed by colin whitlish and music production is by justin toom and our cover is by Erica Chase. You can follow us on all social medias. All of them. The social medias. On the medias. Of social. Of the social. The Facebook. The Facebook. The book of face. <laughs> um, the Twitter and the Instagram. So follow us, please. You can email us at theinsomniareport at gmail.com. Tell us about like what you do for the holidays we want to know any holiday really what's your favorite holiday plant yeah um <laughs> like, yeah tell us about it do you have your own traditions at the insomnia report at gmail.com i'm margo and i'm elizabeth we hope you have a happy healthy safe holiday have a wonderful new year we will see you in 2021 see you next year (laughs) stay sleepy and take care thanks for listening guys good night take care i already said that sweet dreams